0: Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for today and for giving us an opportunity to worship you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I just um, I love these folks who have led us today, and I thank you for their giftedness and uh, for the words uh, that we have sung back to you uh, together as a, as a church family, as worshipers. Now, Father, I ask you to speak to our hearts of your word and that you would do new and beautiful and powerful things uh, in us that would not be just for this moment and just for this time and just part of our routine, but that it would be something that, uh, that you teach us that would carry us through this week and this month and really uh, for all the time ahead. And we trust you'll do that, and so we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me give you the big idea. And I sound really, really big here. I don't know if it's just me or what, but uh, what we're going to talk about today. So here's, here's what it is. Big idea, when Christ comes into our storms, and whatever your storm is, uh, it may be relational, it may be financial, it could be your health, it could be, uh, just, I mean, a hundred different things, right? And it could be a small storm, or it could be something really big or anywhere in between. But when Jesus comes in... To that storm with you, oftentimes, at least in my life, oftentimes he appears <laughs> in an unexpected and even unrecognizable form. He just comes to us in different ways and goes, oh i didn't i didn 't see you coming and oh, there you are jesus you 're right here in the middle of the storm uh, with me so when I encounter Christ, and like I say, sometimes it's unexpected. It's not what I was looking for. I had my, my thoughts, my attention, my eyes so focused on the storm, my emotions. Everything was about this crisis or maybe whatever it is coming up. Maybe it's a deadline. Um, maybe you're waiting on that call, you know, to get the report back about something. You know, it could be a, a lot of different things. While I'm doing that, what do I do? How do I, how do I take the next step? Well, here's, uh, here's what I think. The application for this is to look for Jesus. I want us to be really purposeful about that. And I, I'm going to ask you to focus on just this week. Because I think if you do it this week, if you did it five days, seven days, and you started noticing and seeing Jesus kept showing up in your circumstances, you're going to get addicted to that really quickly. And it's just going to benefit and bless you so much. So we're going to look for Jesus in all those unexpected places, in those unprecedented, uh, unpredicted, those uh, un, un, unthought-about moments, and those times where you, you just think, "Well, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm out here by myself," and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And you think, "Whoa! I didn't, I didn't see that coming." I didn't see him bringing his presence in, into this moment or in, even into my life. And I love when, when God does that for us. You know, for most of my ministry and most of my, really, my life, uh, I have begun or live each day with a list. Maybe you do this. I started doing this in college where um, I would make a list the night before a day or maybe that morning sit down over a cup of coffee and you think, "Well, here's what I need to get done today." And I would make out that list. Back in the 90s, I got hooked on a system uh, it's like Franklin Covey. I think you know, you know what I'm talking about and it's yeah, and some of you still are using that when you get hooked and you, because it just works, you know. And but I would make lists and there's like one a, 1B, one, one, these are like the new priority things. And there's 2B. By the time I get done, and it's like I'm kind of a, that personality that's going to fill out the whole thing, and I'm like, M4. M4 is probably not going to get done today, probably not even by summer, you know. Uh, but those are the kind of things. And then I would hammer those out. Now it works, and you can be kind of productive. But here's the thing I began to notice about doing that. And I still do that, by the way, so I'm not, you know, saying that's not a good thing. Nothing wrong with it. However, um, after years, (laughs) years of trying to manage my life by lists, um, it it finally dawned on me. It hit me one day that if I can't get even one day to go according to my plan, and, and, I, and I haven't, how in the world am I going to get the whole week or months, years, or even decades of my life to fall into place and go according to my plan? And here's, here's the, like, in parentheses, the, the idea under that is, None of my plans ever work. <laughs> I mean, they just don't. I mean, do, you, do yours? I mean, we just kind of think about it. I mean, just, just think about that. Has there ever been even one day when your schedule has gone exactly the way you planned it? I don't think so, at least not for me. My life has never gone in straight paths. I've never gone to bed at night and looked back on that day and thought, "Well, I nailed that. I predicted that. I mean, it just went exactly the way I thought it would. Every, it just lined right up." You know what? That's just that's never happened to me. My life doesn't go in straight paths. My path of my life, it's kind of. I was trying to think of it like a word picture, and most of you don't get this because it's maybe generational. But it's like Pac-Man and that's my life path. It's it's not like this. It's like over here and then I get eat up by something and then I'm over here and then I'm going backwards and I'm way in the corner and I'm over that that's kind of the way my life works. So let, let me let me give you an idea. What if what if you began each day a little differently? than with a list. Now, I know you're probably going to have a list in your phone or on a Post-it note or in your journal somewhere. You're probably still got something running in the background. I get that. But what if that's not the thing? What if that's not the big thing that motivates and fuels you or launches you into your day? What if we began with something like this? I'm going to call this uh, a begging bowl. And I didn't make that up. I actually borrowed that uh, from something in history. There was an old monastic tradition where a monk would go out uh, at the beginning of the day, and he's done his prayers, he's had breakfast and all that, and he's going out into the village or the town, and he's going to be praying over people, and he's going to be doing monk things. I don't exactly know what they do, but, um, you know, he's, he's, got, he's ready for that. And what he would do is, is take his bowl with him. He would take this bowl, and so wherever he would go throughout the day, he would have this bowl. So he does something good, and goes, hey, hey, hey before you leave, you know what, I got some pimento cheese sandwiches in here, and they would put that in the bowl. So they would put food, uh, they would put money, or just whatever they had, and he, that that would represent his sustenance for the day. And so he'd walk around. So whatever he needed for the day would fit in that bowl. And so he would just have that with him. He wouldn't beg. He wouldn't ask. He wouldn't... He just, you know, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I got the... And you've seen people do this, kind of a modern-day version of this, right? You see people... Maybe there's a tip jar um, on, on the counter, or maybe there is, you know... So, and, and you think, okay, I kind of get what you're, what you're asking... Uh, so that's what uh, a monk would do, is that they would go about, and they had this, and it was called a, a begging bowl. And that's a really different concept, just a different idea of how to go through a day. Because if I begin my day and say, Lord, I've got my list, and i got some things i got to get done today, but you know what, I'm just, I'm going to set that aside, and I'm just lifting up this day to you. Like an empty bowl. And I'm gonna ask for you to fill this. And whatever comes in this bowl, Lord, is up to you. And so that's gonna be my approach to the next 24 hours, you know, the next 18, 20, whatever hours. That now, I have put myself in a place where I've invited God to be directly involved, to interrupt my plans to fulfill those, to take me off track, to keep me, but I'm open to whatever this day is going to offer, instead of feeling like, ah, oh, I can't do that, you know, God, you have infinite surprises, you have infinite purposes for me today, and I just want you to know, I'm going to allow room for that, and I know some of us are so busy, and we always say that to each other, right, how you doing, oh man, I'm good, hey, what you, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, or, or, I'm so tired, why are you tired, because I'm so busy, you know, and, I know, me too, I get that, and I'm busy a lot, but I want to begin to allow God more space. You see, if we don't have margin for Him to work and to move in and through our lives, we're going to miss all the best stuff because we're chasing after a lot of mediocre things. Or a lot of things that, you know, on down the line, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I don't exactly remember what I did that day, but I can look in my journal and tell you everything I checked off. Now, I went back and looked at mine because I'm a list guy, and it's just, I mean, there's things on there. And sometimes I put really important things I've got to do, but sometimes I put things on my list because I know I'm going to check it off and it just makes me feel good. <laughs> you ever do that? You know, brush my teeth. Oh, yeah, look at me. What a productive day. I'm knocking it out, you know. Uh, drive down Kingston Pike. Boom, you know. And I, so I just make stuff up, but it really makes me feel good. I think we're kind of that way with ordinary things every day in life. And most of those we don't look back on and remember, right? I even feel that way, you know, we, um, th- the way that we eat. Do you remember what you had for breakfast? Some of you could say that real fast. Some of you think, oh, well, let me th- wait a minute. You know, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, what about supper? What about lunch yesterday? You know, it's just a lot of unremarkable meals. But every now and then, you have something like really good, or you go somewhere special. And later, you know, a friend can be talking about, oh, it's our anniversary, we're going to go out. Or, oh, my birthday, and I can go anywhere I want. And Oh, let me tell you about a place where we ate, and it was just so good. Here's what I think. I believe that God has all these ordinary days lined up for us. But within those unremarkable days, he wants to do some remarkable things. Now, he may not, you, know, you may not you know, inherit a million dollars in the morning or uh, be involved in something dramatic or stop a bank robbery tomorrow afternoon or anything like that. But I think in your heart and throughout your day, if God sees that you're focused on Him and that you're available and you're willing and you've got your bowl, He's going he's to begin to put things in it because He can trust you now. So that's what today is, is about. For God to work with infinite surprise. So I want to ask questions of myself as we step forward over the next few minutes. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. What am I not seeing that I should see? Is there something I I would have ordinarily missed? You know, you look back on yesterday, or you look back, and you think, oh, wow, I didn't even know. I just had this beautiful moment. I had this opportunity, and I wasn't looking for it. So, what should I see that I don't see? What have I taken for granted I read a report that was consistent, not only in, in, in Psychology Today is one magazine, and then American Scientific Mind is another. And I don't think either one of those are even Christian um, perspective, you know, type magazines, but then I read it in a in a in a book of a Christian book by an author. It said the most powerful emotion in, in human experience is the emotion, is the emotion of gratitude. You see, I would have thought it'd be anger. Or, you know, love, because I was raised on Beatles songs and stuff. But, you know, but he said, no, actually, it's gratitude. That's a powerful emotion. What was I not thankful for today? What do I look back on? And that and I, I just kind of took people or places or things for granted. What are other people placing in my bowl? You know, see, so if you come up, you put something in my bowl, and it's not on my list... I'm going to shake it back out, you know. I'm just going to go, hey, that's, sorry, it's not on my list. It's not in my bowl, you know. No, God, I want to be free. To, God, what are other people going to bring during this day? As I'm just going about my day, and they go, hey, got something for your bowl. And they put it in there, and I'm going, oh, man, you just interrupted me. You just slowed me down. You just took me off track. I got to get back to my list. God's like, your life's not about the list. It's about what people are putting in your bowl. So what are people putting in your bowl? And then one other thing, as those items are being placed in there, is there something that God is allowing people and circumstances and to be put in my bowl that he wants to use to teach me, to lead me into a deeper, more personal experience of Jesus in this day? God, are you going to broaden and strengthen and deepen my spiritual life by the things that are in that bowl? think yes well the disciples they're always getting their bowl filled up you know they're always having these experiences with jesus can you imagine three years before they met him or a year you know the the day they met him they had no idea that he's just about to rock everything Uh, you know it's just they're thinking yeah okay uh, but we're gonna make some lists can you imagine hanging out with jesus for a day with your list Hey Jesus, we got a list here, and here's some of the things we're going to do. Oh yeah, first let me feed five thousand people, and let me do. I mean, he's just all over the place, and, and I think their life just went from this ordered predictability to these crazy adventures. And so were yours. Here's one of those adventures. Here's just one snapshot, just a moment in the life of a disciple on an ordinary day. This is in Mark chapter six, and we're we're kind of doing a prequel. Uh, to what we talked about last week. Uh, We're we're stepping back a little bit. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says immediately after this, and immediately after that was the feeding of the 5,000. He had done this incredible miracle, and he did that, and they said right after that, no pause, everybody, get in the boat. Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and head out across the lake uh, to uh, Bethsaida. And while he... uh, sent the people home. Okay, everybody, thanks for coming. What a great turnout. Really appreciate it. Remember to tip your waiters, and, and uh, the Ubers are starting to arrive, so everybody take off. We're going to get in the boat. We've got to go. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Sometimes after a big victory or a big movement or when Jesus does something in your life, one of the most practical, powerful, replenishing, refreshing things you can do is just get off by yourself and pray. You see, most of us pray before something like this, and then we kind of ramp up, and we go into it, and then when it's done, we just go, whoo, and we just chill. We eat a bowl of cereal, we watch Netflix, we go for a walk. No, take a moment right on the heels of something like that and, and just pray. So Jesus is going gonna, you know, to get, get refueled right now. So he goes off by himself, and he prays. During the night, I love, I love this. During the night, whoo, the disciples were in their boat out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. Dum, 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 dum. He saw that they were in serious trouble. I love that Jesus always sees when I get myself in serious trouble. I don't know if you're just in a little bit of trouble. Uh, or you're in serious trouble. I, I'm this way with my grandchildren. You thought I wasn't going to mention them, but this is too perfect. There are times when they begin to get just a little off track. Now, they have, I guess, a sin nature. I don't know. It's mostly just mischievous fun. But I can tell they're going to get in trouble. And they say a little something. And I think, uh oh, I know in five minutes where he's going to be, and he's going to get in trouble. They, don't, they never get in trouble with me. I'm, a, I'm not a father now. I'm a grandfather. So discipline schmichelin. Yeah. <laughs> What's the difference between one cookie and four cookies? I ask you. Nothing. Nothing. So they get four. So, you know, I can tell, though, they begin. I can see all the signs, the warning signs. They're just in a little bit of trouble. And so I start trying to divert it and distract them. Hey, look at me, you know, and I'm pulling them off because I don't want them. Because in a little bit, they're going to go from, a, you know, a small amount. It's just a minor. They're going to move from a misdemeanor to a felony. <laughs> and they're going to cross all kind of lines. And you know how it is when little kids get emotional and they just start busting through. And you're going, stop. And they're just going, ah. And you think, ah, oh, you're 10 minutes from, uh this is not going to go well. Listen, God does the same thing with us. He sees when you're in a little bit of trouble. He also sees when you're in serious trouble. And I, I really love that about him. That he knows. I never pray and go, God, I hate to interrupt you. I know, I don't know whatever, what you're doing, but, and you, this probably went right by you, but I'm in serious trouble. What? I'm so sorry. I was focused on something over here. I didn't even see that. Now, you never have to pray like that. God sees. He sees that they were in serious trouble. They're rowing hard. And this is just a picture of our flesh. I'm in serious trouble. What am I doing? I'm trying to get myself out of serious trouble. So I'm working it. You know, so they're rowing hard. They're in serious trouble. They're struggling against wind and waves, things that are too powerful for them to control. It's out of their control. So about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I want you to know, that's, sometimes that's when I need Jesus. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but usually 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I just need a cup of coffee and I'm good. But those nights where you're awake and you wonder if he is too. So it's 3 o'clock in the morning. He came to them. Wow, you just underline that. He came to them walking on the water. What? Walking on the water. And he started to go past them. And that's kind of this feel like in the Old Testament where it says God was walking past or he was moving past and he's just kind of moving in this direction past. So he's, he's on this. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the water, they screamed like little girls. In ter- no offense to little girls. They screamed in terror, thinking he's a ghost. <laughs> what? Okay. They were all terrified. When they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Stop, stop, it's okay, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. It's all right, he said. I'm here. It's me, Jesus. Don't be afraid. Literally, stop being so scared. It's just me. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were astonished at what they saw. Now, they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the multiplied loaves. (laughs) They still didn't get that. For their hearts were hard, and they did not believe. When they arrived at uh, Gennesaret on the other side of the lake, they anchored the boat, and they climbed out. And then the people figured out, they recognized Jesus immediately. There he is, he's here. So they run and get all their sick people. <laughs> Everybody gets their, you know, the, oh, I forgot I got this problem. So they pick their lists back up, you know, and they start running to Jesus and saying, hey, you know, and they've been kind of waiting on this moment. And, and it was really just fortunate for them. Now, this, uns- this whole story unfolds at the Sea of Galilee, and if you've been going to church for a while, you've probably heard about this place and you understand some of the things about it, and guys like me talk about it. One of the most interesting aspects about this particular body of water is that it's, it's really susceptible to these sudden and extremely violent storms. They just come out of nowhere. And that's because uh, these, these storms are caused, this cold air... From the mountains comes rushing down, and it surrounds and collides with this warm, moist air that's coming off the surface of the water. So, they had these real fast, you know, these tempests, these storms that come up real, real quickly. Now, the disciples only had to travel a short distance. Shouldn't have been that big a deal. But then the storm came up, a storm so violent that despite all their efforts to control the boat, despite all your efforts to control your boat, sometimes it just, it just goes out of control, right? Right? And you're trying to control, you're in a boat right now and you're thinking, I think I got this, I think I got this, and you, and you don't. And so the harder you work, the, just the further out you get. And so they're trying to control the boat. This storm actually drives them about four miles off course, some of you are four miles off course, and you think, wow, how did I get out here? And it's the fourth watch of the night, which means it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The time of your day when you're probably, unless you work night shift, you know, you're, it's probably your most vulnerable, weakest time. You're more open to demonic influence, to fleshly ideas, to thoughts, to discouragement. That's a perfect time for the enemy to attack you. To give you bad dreams. To, all kinds of things can happen between 3 and 6 a.m. And here's what it says. That they had been rowing and straining at these oars for hours. Sometimes the enemy will come against you at the end of a really hard day. At a long time, you're hungry, you're tired, you're sleepy, people are annoying you, there's something that's happening that's out of your control, you know, that, that you, you can't do, they're totally exhausted. You need to be really, really careful when you're totally exhausted, because that, that's a moment that you might make some really bad decisions. Well, Mark tells us that when the disciples see Jesus, and he's out walking on the water, they think, oh it's a fill in the blank. What would you think? Ghost. <laughs> it's a ghost. That's what they, so they're just terrified. They cried out. You know, they, they, you know if, if you were writing this story about yourselves, wouldn't you have left that part out? I mean, I would. If I'm Mark and I'm writing this and I was in the boat, I wouldn't have said the part about it. they cried out. They started crying. I'd have said, well, the disciples were pretty brave. And one in particular, Dan, he kind of was, you know, composed, but the others were kind of a little bit scared. No, he just, he tells the truth, and he says, ah, they're just terrified. Now, here's a significant fact about this particular miracle. God always comes out to us in our storms. He'll always come out to you uh, in, in the storms of life, whatever kind it is. And this reminds me of um, a prompt, or something that God said to and through the prophet Isaiah. Back in Isaiah 43 three two. he said, when you pass through the waters, when you do, you will. I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they're not going to sweep over you. This is not going to overwhelm you. So don't freak out, don't panic, don't give up because this isn't going to, get you now the thing in my life is that the lord doesn't ever seem to in fact almost never does he always come at the right time in my thinking you know the time that i think lord now this is when you should come and it doesn't seem like he's there jesus had waited until this boat was as far out as possible you know, you're out in the middle, and now you're going to start getting close to land if you go this way or this way. But he, they're, they're, they're out there, and all their hope is gone. They don't see any solutions. We've all felt like that. So why did Jesus do it that way? You know, I, don't, I, I never can figure those things out, but why did he walk on water? I mean, that's pretty incredible, right? He walked on water. Um, I think it was to show his disciples that the very thing that they feared. The thing they were so scared of in that moment more than anything else, which is this raging, wild, uh, out-of-control out of storm, and they're right in the middle of it. The thing they feared the very most was just, it was just merely steps for Jesus to walk on to, so he could come out and get in the boat with them. Sometimes the thing you're scared of the most is maybe what God is using to bring Jesus deeper and closer into your life. That's been true with me many times. Often we fear these difficult events. uh, And we discover that all those experiences actually is just, that's what brought Jesus closer to me. Now, if you're like me, you'd probably say, I wouldn't go through that again for a bazillion dollars. You know, I don't want to ever go through that again. However, I also wouldn't trade what I learned or how close I got with the Lord during that time for a bazillion dollars either. So this is one of those moments um, for the disciples. So you think, this is that moment, then why didn't they recognize Jesus? I mean, it is 3 o'clock in the morning. They are tired. It is a storm going on. So I get all the physical things that are happening. But I I, I believe that the answer is that they just weren't looking for Jesus. Instead, they jumped to the wrong conclusion. And sometimes you will come up with the craziest ideas when you're in the middle of a storm and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're not looking for Jesus. And so you have these thoughts. You have this, I know what it is. It's a ghost. All of a sudden, this is so crazy. They just start believing in ghosts. You think, what? What do you think it is? Uh, a ghost. And they, just, they immediately go all Scooby Doo on the whole thing. And they just, they just get so scared. And, and the point is this fear and faith can't live in the same heart. You're either going to give all of your emotion. And all of your energy and everything over to your fear. And you're just gonna feel that. And it's just gonna rise. You're just gonna sense that. So you're just gonna say, I'm just so scared. I can't think. And I think maybe it's a ghost. It's not a ghost. You ever had somebody outside of your situation look in and go, It's not that. Yes, it is. It is. You know, and we're all doomed. We're all gonna die. And it's just, ah, you know, and you're thinking, shh. Because that's what we do. And they don't know, (laughs) because fear always blinds our eyes to the presence of the Lord. Fear will always blind your eyes to the presence of the Lord. So they had to calm down, and Jesus calms them down. And he proves, again, that he is in command of the environment. Whether it's fish and loaves, whether it's storms, whatever it is. Disease, sickness, blindness. Jesus says, I'm in control of all of that. And by doing that, he's quietly affirming he really is the Son of God. Because only God can do those things. That's something only God can do. So he reveals this truth to his disciples who begin to recognize his divinity. And they respond with this confession of faith in Jesus. Now, this story is in all, there's three of the Gospels that this story appears in, so you can kind of look at it, and they all match up pretty good. And some give these details, and some give those. Matthew's Gospel said, The wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's just really cool about this passage Uh, a a statement that was kind of built on something they had said earlier. Do you remember this question they asked? What kind of man is this? Who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And then here they answer it saying, oh, you're the son of God. We get it. Now, they've got a long way to go on their spiritual journey, just like me. You know, they are slow to learn. They don't get it, but they're growing in their faith. This is the very first time in their whole story, in all of Scripture, that the Bible tells us the disciples worshipped Jesus. This was a defining moment. This is the first time they worshipped Him. Now, all the way back in Luke 2 and Matthew 2, the Magi, you know, from the East, they worship Jesus. Later, a leper is said to have worshiped Jesus. Later, in a synagogue, ruler does the same thing. He worships Jesus. But this is the first time that the disciples worship Jesus. And I think it's kind of interesting that their their worship uh, connects, it sinks with this confession. That's what joins that. That's the glue. Oh, you're the son of God. Oh. oh we're starting to get it. And so the, the natural thing to do was just to worship. Now Jesus appeared to his disciples. Totally unexpected time. Totally unexpected place. They weren't ready for this. They had endured this really, really long night. Uh, they're still struggling. It's not over yet. Their muscles are aching. You know. They're discouraged. The boat's filling up with water. Everything's not going well. Uh, this is going, they're just so tired. And they can look and think, wow, we're still a long way off from land. We're, what, everything we're doing is not getting us anywhere. I mean, That's not a time to expect Jesus. Probably the last thing on their mind because their minds were so wrapped up in their problem. You get, sometimes we so focus on the giant of our problem, and we don't look at Jesus. He just absorbs us. He just overwhelms us. So sometimes, I you know, I get it, me too, that, that it seems like you're way out. You're in, a, you're in your boat, <laughs> your own little boat, and nobody else is in your, they don't, nobody gets it because th- their boats are all so nice, and, you know, and Jesus is way off somewhere. I don't know where he is. He's up on shore. So the least, you know, the last thing they expected at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then suddenly, here comes Jesus. And he just steps right up to them in the most unusual way, scares the life out of them. They think, oh, it's a ghost. Yeah. Jesus' appearance is so unexpected. Their first reaction in the face of this really unpredictable encounter is a fear, and that's usually our go-to emotion, okay? First thing you're going to fear is, uh, or feel, is fear, but you don't have to trust that. Don't trust your fear. That's not coming from the Lord, but we're going to get that feeling, and fright, just this terror, it closes their eyes, it closes their hearts to the true identity of their Savior. Their fear sees only this terrifying phantom instead of who it really is, their their friend, their teacher, their master, Jesus, and they don't even see it, and sometimes the thing you fear the most and what's coming at you, it's just Jesus, and you're so scared, and you're trying to push him away, and you're trying to turn back to something else that you do recognize or it's more familiar, don't be afraid. He's not going to hurt you. So how many of us do that same thing every day? And we just do that all the time. And the one person who wants to save us and love us is Jesus, and he's the one we're pushing out of the circumstance. Lean into that. All of us have a bowl. Really, we are a bowl. You know, Paul said that. You know, he said, each of us hold this treasure, the treasure of the Holy Spirit, who he is in our lives, in earthen vessels. He said, you're just clay pots. He said, you carry Jesus around with you all day, but what you are, you're just a bowl. You're, you're, you're what holds him. So, here's my question. I'm just going to just ask you a couple of things, and then we're, we're done. How will your bowl be positioned in your life in the morning? You get up, you're ready to get going. What's your bowl gonna look like? Now, the first position, one position, could be that your bowl's just upside down. And these are the folks who are simply not open. I don't want you to mess with me. I don't want anything new or different. I don't want any different possibilities. I don't like surprises. So I'm just going to keep my bowl upside down. Verse 52 says, The disciples did not understand what Jesus had just done because of the hardness of their hearts. You see, it wasn't an intellectual thing. It wasn't a theological thing. It wasn't something we just don't understand. It wasn't about that. No, their bowls are upside down because of the hardness of their heart. And some of you, you're going to get up in the morning and you just think, nope, God, I really don't want you tinkering in my life. I don't know if I trust you like that. Now, another position, the second position, would be right side up, but it's already full of stuff. You know, your bowl's already full. You think, no thank you God, there's really nothing else that can go in here. And and, and these are folks, you know, maybe some of us we've already got our lists made Um, we're so full of our agendas, so fixated on our ideas uh, our mindsets that there's just no space. There's nowhere for God to pour into us and to receive from Him. You're going to have to get some of that junk out of your bowl. Now, third position of a bowl is opened, but it's so damaged and and, and so beat up, and and it's got cracks and stains, and there's maybe some trash. There's just some stuff in there. You think, oh, yeah, I need to get that out, And, and there's all this in there. Whatever gets put then into the bowl is going to be contaminated. That's going to be polluted. You know, you're, you're trying to mix God's things with our things. What does that do? Sin poisons whatever comes. So if you're just full of your own pain, your own bitterness, your own anger... You think, I'm just going to keep this in my bowl. And if you want to come in, there's a little room for you, but I'm not letting go of my stuff. And so everything just simply seeps out through the cracks of your own woundedness. Anything that, you know, where it hadn't been filled and hadn't been healed yet. There's one other way. There's this, this fourth bowl position where I can hold up my life in the morning to the Lord. And it's where the bowl of my life is empty. And it's ready to receive. I'm ready, Lord. Now, there still may be all kind of cracks in there. And there's broken places. But those are actually become the strongest places. Because when God's grace and His forgiveness begins to heal our lives of all of its cracks and all the broken places... Something beautiful and amazing begins to happen, because it's really about Him in the bowl. It's not about the bowl; it never was. It's about Jesus in your life, taking you through whatever it is that's going to happen next. You know, like the disciples in today's lesson. Um, a lot of times we, we are given the, experience, the, the opportunity to experience this living personal encounter with Jesus. And yet we fail to recognize his presence there. So here's the question What position is your bowl in? The thing I love at the end of this story is that it says when Jesus got out to the boat uh, with them that he climbed in. I thought that's an unusual verb. I don't know if I've even seen that before in the New Testament. Jesus, he walks on the water and then he climbs in the boat with the disciples. Listen, Jesus is so ready to climb. He's walking out to you, and he's ready to climb into the boat. He doesn't just from outside the boat go, look, hey, guys, watch this. You're going to love what I'm about to do. No, he goes, Let me in, I'm going to climb in the boat with you. And then, a few verses later, it says they get to the shore, and it says they put the anchor down, And then they all climbed out of the boat. See, if you let Jesus climb into your boat with you this morning, then tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, you're going to get to the destination where he's going to lead you. And then you and Jesus are going to get out of that boat together. You're going to get out together. And the next thing they did... You know, it says all these people started rushing up. They didn't have time to reflect on it, to write a blog. They didn't have time to go, Jesus, high five. You know? They said, oh, well, we got to get, look, all these people are here. So Jesus is going to get in your boat with you. He's going to take you through whatever storms you've got. And then you and Jesus are going to get out of the boat and you're going to begin to make a difference in other people's lives. Because you're not the only one who has storms. There's all these people. They needed healing and they needed attention. They needed grace and forgiveness and love. And God's going to flow through you and Jesus together. And you're going to be a part of Him changing other people's lives. It's not just about your storm, it's not just about your bowl. So I'm going to ask you if you'd stand. And as we wrap up together, um, we let Jesus in your boat. see what he does next. Whatever your storm is right now,